Man, Maureen, do we have a lot to talk about. It has been a hundred days of Trump, hundred days and change. And man, do we have a bunch of really important and things. And Dan, I just have to stop you right now. We're something very, very important. There's a new salad in town. What? There's a new salad in town, Dan. A new salad, you say? And it's called the Watergate salad. Oh, now, no. Oh, no. Dan, I found out about the Watergate salad very, very recently. And as soon as I did, I, I knew I was on to something very, very important. And the Watergate salad uh, is named after the famous Watergate Hotel, uh, which gave its name also to the famous gate of Watergate. The original and gate. The original gate. Uh, and I as I'll talk about later, was doing some research on it only to find they have a salad. And it is – now, I don't – I'll just describe it. The Watergate salad, according to Wikipedia, is also referred to as green goddess, shut the gate salad, green group, green fluff, or simply green stuff. And now, what, what do you think might be in a Watergate salad? Clearly, it's heavy on the green. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with a spinach, maybe. Okay. Maybe uh, an additional some kind of uh, some kind of field green, maybe an arugula. Okay. Uh, perhaps a sprout. Right. And I'm gonna round that out with a cucumber. Literally, none of those things are in the Watergate Whoa. salad. None of them. It is made with pistachio pudding. Oh, boy. Oh, this is going in a totally different way. Canned pineapple, Cool Whip, and marshmallows. Maureen, that sounds amazing. I know. I would eat eat the hell out of it. Oh. Oh. I just want to make like a vat of it and crawl in. You know in The Matrix when, uh, when... Neo emerges from that like vat of liquid and unplugs his little neck plug thing. Mm-hmm. I think my new dream is to just emerge from a vat of Watergate salad and suddenly realize that I'm inside the matrix and have to unplug my little thing and then eat my way out. That's a beautiful image. It's an extreme image. It's an image. There's a lot of imagery. It looks absolutely delicious it is definitely reminiscent of things that my aunt flossie used to serve at these uh, picnics we would have in the summer uh those are all things i want and some of the uh some recipes feature canned mandarin oranges which i also really enjoy Oh man that's really when you know it's special i for sure this is absolutely guarantee um i believe that we should we'll be i'll be making this when trump leaves Uh office but I'd also like to maybe suggest that the Watergate salad become the official salad of says who. Falls far outside our normal line on salad, but... Oh, yeah? You don't think this is a salad? Says who. Welcome to Says Who... Home to the Watergate salad. <laughs> this is a podcast that isn't a podcast. It's a coping strategy. I'm Dan Sinker. And I'm Maureen Johnson. And how are you, Dan? <sighs> Maureen, I'm fucking exhausted. I am so tired. 
I can barely articulate how tired I am. I like it hit me last week that I was like almost non-functional and long-time listeners to this podcast will remember I have a young child now emerging on his second year and early in this podcast uh he did not sleep hardly at all um and that was hard but uh he is sleeping super good now like a 10 hours at a night in a stretch it's fantastic uh I am no longer sleeping and um I realized, like, there is a lot of chaos in my life right now. I kind of have this never-ending construction job happening in my house. You may well hear some banging happening behind me. Uh, I am uh, working real hard on a bunch of different projects, plus my job. Uh, but yet, uh, last week I was talking to my wife, and I was just like, I'm so tired. And she was like, well, yeah, you know why? Because, like, we've all been dragging through a uh, hundred days of this shit. And uh, I realized, yeah, that is why that is why I'm so tired, Maureen. A hundred days of shit. I do want to ask you one thing, because I, I know that your older child had a birthday. He did. He, he did. He just turned 12. You had a, a very beautiful, special thing you did for his birthday. <laughs> I was hoping you would share. Uh, the nice thing about having an older child is uh, you can begin to troll them. And... Um, it was a really, really rainy day on Sunday, which was his 12th birthday. And our dog started barking out the window. And uh, I very flippantly and jokingly said, oh, the dog's probably barking at the birthday clown. And um, my son <laughs> went and looked out the window and he was like, no, there's no one there. Like pissed. It's he's, she, She's just barking at the rain. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. I uh, I paid the clown to hide whenever you looked out the window. <laughs> and, and then I kind of waved, but passed him <laughs> out the window and gave a little thumbs up. And he spun around. And I was like, oh, he went away again. <laughs> and uh, it was a good hour of that, of him looking half believing, half not believing, that story is so beautiful, it seems to border on being a parable. I mean, it's, is the clown there? Isn't he there? Does he even need to be real? These are all questions I have. Your son is going to be fine, I'm sure, but that, um... <laughs> this 100-day period, we're going to be talking today about basically how weird we all feel. Today is the day of... Of just weirdness. And our interview today, uh, we have a fascinating and bizarre look inside the netherworld of creeps that seems to surround Trump and Mar-a-Lago. And we'll be talking with BuzzFeed's Tarini Party. But first, we, you know, we make this podcast and we, conti we continue to make this to talk about coping. And we've reached this, we've all marched to this 100-day mark and we're constantly reminded that this 100-day mark means something and also means nothing. And that we're not that far in, but oh my god, we've also been doing this for 100 days. And doing anything this painful and strange for 100 days is going to take a toll. So yeah. we have to take stock. Where what, where have we gotten in 100 days, really? Uh, yeah, 100 days is a long time. you know. And we've talked before about just how weird time feels in this whole thing. Like, 
100 days is actually the first time or it's the first measure of time that for me it was like, oh, that's a long time. Like, it's not two weeks or four weeks or whatever. Like, 100 days, like, oh, yeah, you do, like, 100 days is is time spent. And, like, no wonder we all feel like this. You know, that is, like, if you're working out for 100 days, like, you'd be in shape, you know? And instead, we're, like, the anti-working out. Yeah, no wonder we feel like crap. Yeah, the theme for a lot of this stuff this week is just incompetence. That it's just been 100 days of mostly nothing getting done and all these grifters and weirdos that we've had to get used to and the half-assed nature of all that he does. Because we've been ruled by statespeople before and tyrants and some geniuses and some people that are basically knowledgeable. But this is the age, this is something different. This is the age of incompetence. And that's what's so uniquely stressful about it is. this. I mean, that's the thing is like, if you think about the like the war footing everyone has been on since inauguration day you know the number of marches the number of everything and the actually like almost nothing that has been accomplished it's it's like there's a there's a dissonance there that's really hard to to understand you know like he he really hasn't done much of anything he's passed like these executive orders that are mostly just like to look into or to you know they they seem mostly um you know mostly salad dressing salad dressing window dressing this is you know we have now just in the past couple of days press you know press briefings where they walk out without taking questions or he 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 went on a real tear the other day where he gave a it was his big day of interviews where he just yeah. he, he did a lot of talking the other day and none of us are reassured because he famously said the other day that he thought that being president would be easier oh than this my god i i really maureen like i get i get thinking that like i bet you every president even the ones that actually thought it was going to be work were like boy i thought this was going to be less work right but like why would you say that with your mouth Right. Like, why would you say that to a reporter out loud with your mouth? And then why would you say it to another couple reporters? Like what? I this guy, especially this guy who's so obsessed with like seeming like toughness and and, you know, all of this to say like, man, this is a lot harder than I thought is such a weird admission of weakness and like what are we supposed to do with that it's this is why we all feel so terrible because there is a particularly punishing aspect to being around people that are in charge but and bad at it like things that you know are wrong and you can't do anything about things that are just knowing that someone this apparently this dumb is in charge hurts more than I possibly knowing that like a really smart like a maybe like a really smart evil person is in charge I think just because it all feels chaotic yeah Um, like the civil war stuff this week like Uh. the quotes about the we we we've run out of things to say we've run out of uh as one of the as teen vogue put it you know there are no alarms left to sound yeah and 
it's uh, how do we how do we cope? Where in it, we're in a situation where we have to march for science. Like that's even a thing. Yeah. Like we have to say we just have to stand up for for thinking. Yeah, I was at the science march, and it was I, the the one in Chicago. I think was actually the biggest one. Um, biggest one there was um in part because it was pretty lousy weather out on the on the east coast but um there was like a palpable feeling of we cannot even fucking believe that we have to be here right now you know (laughs) just like we are marching for science like how what that's not a thing it's not a thing this is the age of this is not a thing yeah well, I have a lot of revenge fantasies now. Um, that's one of my, and that's not a good coping strategy because the, I, I think a lot about, you know, do we have to get, do we need the Trump voters to realize what's happening? The, to realize they did wrong and that something has happened. Does it matter? You know, sometimes I get mad and I want Trump to know he's dumb. Yeah. Does it matter? Does it matter? In a certain sense, do we even need those people back? Like there are enough of us in a lot of ways there to are. do the the work that needs doing. And we've we've had a lot of successes in a hundred days. I mean, that's the thing, you know, like that that was like Trump's big campaign promise was that people were going to be coming up to him and saying, Trump, I am tired of winning. You've delivered so much winning that I I can no longer handle it, which is has always been such a weird turn of phrase to me. But um, we have gotten a lot more winning done than they have. Oh, yeah. Some of those who have fallen in 100 days. We first had Michael Flynn. Yep. Uh, he was gone after three weeks. In the last couple weeks, we've had the fall of Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, real cleaning house at Fox News. Yeah, and then yesterday, the president of, of Fox News, Bill Shine, also gone. And there was a report in the Daily Beast today that could be total nonsense, but there was a report in the Daily Beast that says Sean Hannity might also be on the way out. To see Fox News start to crumble like this and be take down, taken down by the women inside the building yeah. is, I say, particularly delicious and wonderful. We have people like Jason Chaffetz, who is sort of out. I mean, he's after getting his ass handed to him repeatedly in town halls, he's not coming back. And then he had to go away for emergency foot surgery on a thing that happened 20 years 12 ago. 12-year-old ago, twelve year old ankle injury. And that was, so he had to run off and get emergency foot surgery. And now he's hopping back to D.C. and generally being mysterious in all ways and acting super, super shifty. Yeah. Dan, I've been coping about this couple of days now with doing something very in particular, which is how I ended up finding the... Our new salad, the Watergate salad. And then I've been listening to the audiobook of All the President's Men. Wow. Which I I've seen All the President's Men many times. I've I've read it in the past, but I actually just wanted to listen to it. And all the if you don't know what it is, All the President's Men, which is an account by Woodward and Bernstein about the Watergate scandal. And that event that eventually uh caused Richard Nixon to leave office. And this scandal was investigated by two reporters. Woodward Bernstein. And it took a long time for this to pan out. The it's the Nixon had been doing a number of things for a while. He had been uh tapping uh his enemies and having people followed and sabotaging various of his his opponents in the nineteen seventy two election. 
Um, but there was a crime committed on uh, June 17, 1972, where he had a bunch of people break into the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee in the Watergate Hotel. And it was really poorly done and they got caught. And this little trail, these little threads from these burglars, eventually it took two years. So that was June 17, 1972. And on August 9, 1974, Nixon resigned in the face of overwhelming evidence, looming impeachment, the existence of a whole bunch of tapes he'd made of himself where, in which he'd incriminated himself and then he wouldn't give over some tape and erased part of it. Erased part of it, and there was with twenty-two missing minutes or something like that. Yep. And uh, I got to hear some of the speeches given by Ron Ziegler, his press sec- secretary, who spoke in jumble, just like Sean Spicer, who condemned the press and was basically doing the nineteen. 19- he didn't use the phrase "fake news," but they were using equivalent phrases, saying, "You know, the press is. You can't believe the press and the the Eastern, you know, journalistic conspiracies and their." They were entirely correct. All of these things had really happened. In the end, how many – there were something like 60 different people that were indicted. Yeah. Um, and it, it, was, it was rotten all the way down. It, it absolutely destroyed – it destroyed the Nixon administration, but it blew up Washington. And it was a journalistic investigation. I'm only saying this because some of the listeners may be younger and you may have heard of Watergate and kind of go, it was something. But what was it? It's an amazing story, and it did yeah. it did lead me to the Watergate salad, which uh, we've adopted. But it's the Watergate second food salad. that we've we've adopted that has canned pineapple in it. Canned pineapple is good. Important fact, though. Also, I just have to tell you this: Ron Ziegler worked at Disneyland, and he was Whoa. the announcer on the, the the Jungle Cruise on the Jungle Boat. What? Yes. That was his job. So his training before press secretary is that he worked for Disneyland, and he was the person who would talk to you when you got on the boat. And wow, mm-hmm. it that's all goes a, back to yeah. It's a very different Jungle Cruise. Imagine Sean Spicer. You get on Pirates of the Caribbean, and there's Sean Spicer going, "It's me, Sean Spicer. Gonna go see some pirates of the Caribbean." He just yells at you the whole time, and you just kind of cower in your seat. Ah, uh, man. It's, uh, the thing that I think is actually important about Watergate is it took a really long time. You know, like that's the thing that, that I keep hearing over and over and over again is like, you know, isn't there enough stuff to get this guy impeached or to get him to resign or to force him out or whatever? And it's like, it takes a long time like this, especially if you if you have a Congress that seems to not care, you know, Um a hundred days is short in terms of something like this, you know, and that's where it's like, man, we're in for a long, we're in for a long haul, you know, but, but again, like not only have we won a lot of creeps out, you know, um, there've also been some pretty amazing things, something that I feel like didn't get a ton of attention. And I think it's also really hard to break through right now, right? Like there's so much constant news that it is really really hard to kind of break through it but there's an organization called emily's list did you see this thing uh i know what emily's list is but i'm not sure what you're about to say yeah so emily's list is this organization that helps women to run for office right and in 2016 so last year they got contacted and spoke with 900 women about 
uh, running for office. And this year, they have heard from 11,000 women. That's amazing. There are reports seemingly almost every day about like folks that are, you know, running for offices big and small because of, you know, what they're seeing. Like people are really people are engaged and like we can say like it is so dumb that we're marching for science like how have we gotten to this point where we have to march for science but man we're out there right like mm-hmm. and the science march especially like at least the one in chicago it was easily the most awkward march i have ever been in like it was like i am in a march of introverts right now like no one was really chanting occasionally people would and it was kind of awkward but like they turned out you know and that's that's how this hundred days is going to work or hundred days. That's how this hundred days worked. And that's how the next hundred is going to work. And the hundred after that. And like, yeah, it's fucking tiring, but as much as everywhere you look, it's kind of, there's, there's things that you can see that are maddening. There are also things you can see that are really inspiring and really like people are doing incredible work in the face of, a hell of a lot of headwind. Yep. No, changes... There's so many changes happening in so many directions, but we... Yeah, th- this incredibly cancerous administration and person, you know, has has certainly caused a lot of... Our reaction is... We're taking out a lot of... We're taking out a lot of badness. That's a pretty deep statement. We're taking out a lot of badness. I think I have also lost some brain cells in the last 200 days, for sure. Even while we've been recording this, I've forgotten names and words. And Dana, just uh, maybe I'm not well. I feel none of like us are, none of us are well, Maureen. But I we're want getting a little, through it. I want to go down to Florida, maybe have a little relaxation in West Palm Beach. Meet some people. Funny you should mention that, Maureen, because we mm-hmm. have uh, we have touched a number of times on this podcast on Mar-a-Lago and the weird outer orbit of like creeps and goons that keep turning up around Trump and in places like Mar-a-Lago and, and West Palm Beach. And last week, BuzzFeed published this absolutely amazing story called The House Mother and the Fraudster. If you haven't had a chance to read it, it is linked up in our show notes. Uh, And this story, it dove deep into this bizarre character of Ari Rinkus, who is a con man and Ponzi schemer, convicted felon, like done time on probation, Uh, who happens to be married to one of the main people that is running Mar-a-Lago. It is one of those stories that you read, and every few sentences you just kind of stop to catch your breath. It is like equal parts fascinating and sickening and... I I threw you the link, but I think you had already seen it, you know? Oh yeah, I had. And we were both like, we need to find this author and talk to them. And uh, we did. And so we were able to sit down with Tarini Party, who covers Congress and the White House for BuzzFeed, 
to talk more about this incredible story. This this article is amazing. It's it's not only does it give just sort of a really interesting look into this bizarre collection of characters that seem to just surround Trump at every at every turn, but it's also just like an amazing little story, you know? And I'm curious there are I mean there are just so many points in the article that I just like gasp, you know? And <laughs> I'm curious, there have to have been moments in reporting it where you just kind of like rub your eyes and can't believe what's going on around you. Yeah, I mean, there were several points like that. Uh, I mean, especially when I was sitting down and talking to him and he just, you know, kept going and going. And then my, you know, almost two hour conversation with him after when I told him I was actually going to publish this. Uh, so, there, I mean, there were just so many points where, I, you know, just could not believe this was happening. And uh, my editors at, at BuzzFeed News were great and just kept saying, you know, take your time to write this because these stories are rare and don't happen very often. So you should feel like you're, you know, giving it your all. So, um, so yeah, so there were, there were several points. I mean, literally anything that he said, uh, and this is um, Ari Rinkus, who was um, uh, the husband of the guest manager at Mar-a-Lago, you know, everything he says, he says it in sort of this, kind of charming, believable way. Um, and I mean, I knew what he was saying may or may not be right. But, you know, other people at this bar where he goes to, uh, where he, you know, sometimes looks for investors, um, you know, sometimes talks about getting government contracts, you know, other people don't know. And actually, most of the people at the bar didn't even know that, you know, his history about um, being, you know, a twice convicted felon. Can we just ask how you first heard about him and what led you to write this wonderful story that everybody should read? Sure. Um, so I, you know, I'd been kind of poking around looking at different stories uh, related to Mar-a-Lago and um, stories sort of on the periphery of, of Trump and the, the people who are involved with him. Um, and I had uh, planned this trip to West Palm Beach, but I heard about him. Um, you know, we got a tip. Uh, plus, then I actually saw him. Uh, when I was at this at this bar. So it kind of all came together um, sort of randomly, but also uh, when it did, I just had so many, uh, so many documents available to kind of really know more about this person. I mean, he has such a history, uh, you know, in the court system uh, with his with his two felonies that the story just kind of started, um, you know, writing itself in a way. <laughs> so so wait, back up. You were like, this guy seems interesting. You head down to Palm Beach and then you run into him in a bar? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's roughly how it went down. And uh, I mean, I you know, he does frequent a lot of these bars in, in North Palm Beach, a um, couple of them in particular. And one of them I, I wrote about in the story. Of, uh, it's this bar that's on this, you know, sort of canal in, in North Palm Beach. Uh, which if you haven't been to Palm Beach, it's just, it's, I mean, it's quite the scene. I it, My three trips down there, um, I didn't really know what to expect, but it, it is a very sort of small knit community um, of, you know, people, uh, you know, upper middle class. Um, they all sort of congregate and gossip and talk about each other. And it's it's just fascinating to watch. 
So it's like the cheers of West Palm Beach is really you is. find this guy? It, I mean, it really is. And, and other people have sort of down there brought up this this comparison as well, actually. Uh, so, um, so yeah, so if you haven't been down there, you know, I would, I would highly recommend it just for some good, uh, people watching, if nothing else. Wow. So this guy, again, you, you mentioned it, but so this guy is the husband of like one of the main folks running Mar-a-Lago, right? Yes. Yes. So she, her official title is guest reception manager, but she is, uh, you know, worked her way up to being very close to the president is what I've heard from multiple people. And I don't think that part of uh, it is an exaggeration. I do think she is, um, you know, very close to the president. I've seen pictures of her with, you know, and I, this was in the story with top uh, administrative, uh, with top White House staff, you know, with the president himself. Uh, I mean, she is there day in and day out. Um, and the, you know, when I was speaking with, when I met uh, Anthony Rinkus or Ari Rinkus um, at the bar, he kept talking about how his wife was getting ready uh, at Mar-a-Lago for the president's visit with the Chinese president. So, you know, yeah. it's, it, you know, that I, that part was not an exaggeration. I mean, that is her job. She was there preparing for this big event. Um, and, you know, she's, he said she's there, you know, late night, at night every day, just getting stuff ready for the president who relies on her when he's at Mar-a-Lago uh, for these important meetings to make sure everything is together and his staff is taken care of. Um, so she's in touch with these people, you know, pretty regularly. And so she, she this was her job before the presidency, right? And he is, has been married to her for how long? Since they they met right around high school, so they've been married for you know several years. He's now thirty eight. So okay, so um, for a long time. For a long time. And he's got a pretty extensive record. Yes. Uh, so he's he's been convicted twice. Uh, his first felony was um, uh, when he was younger. Uh, it was in the early two thousands um, for a car theft ring in uh, in Michigan. So they were basically getting these cars from New York and changing their what's called the VIN number, the identification yeah. number on them, and then reselling them. Um, and he got caught doing that. And since it was his, you know, uh, the, the judge was pretty, you know, he said it in the in the proceedings, he was going to be pretty lenient with him, um, and gave him just five years on probation and no jail time. Um, however, Rinkus then went on to violate his probation by not uh, you know, paying up uh, his in restitution and moving to Florida while this was all going on. Um, so his probation, he was he went to prison then for violating his probation. However, while he was uh, out on probation, he had already started working uh, with these other people on what came to be this Ponzi scheme. <laughs> so um, so he then the FBI had already started investigating this while he was, you know, uh, dealing with his probation violation. And so he ended up then uh, going to prison for three years for this Ponzi scheme. And still, I mean, you know, he owes more than eight hundred thousand uh, dollars. We could not, you know, the court refused to tell us exactly how much he still owes. But it is safe to say that he owes hundreds of thousands of dollars still to his victims. A lot of crime feels kind of dumb when you look yeah. at it. It's like a it's a an error of ego and a feeling like I can just get away with this. This guy really does seem like a very low level grifter. Yes. 
I mean, so he he's constantly thinking about, from what I could gather, his sort of next move, what he's going to do next. Um, and he is sort of charming enough to get away with it to a certain point. But he, and, and I, I mean, I, I spoke with a lot of people who know him, and this was kind of the gist of it. He does get away with it to a certain point, but he his sort of um, this desire to constantly brag uh, gets in the way of that. And he ultimately slips up and makes mistakes. So in many ways, this guy is like a less successful Trump, but a lot of the same <laughs> behaviors. It's, it, you know, a lot of people have made that comparison. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, there definitely are similarities in the sort of the, the way they, they both carry themselves. Uh, they both like to brag about themselves and kind of, um, you know, any sort of uh, connections with uh, people who they might think are even better than them, which, you know, there aren't that many people who they might think of uh, think in that way. But uh, but yeah, there are definitely similarities um, between the two. I mean, that's one of the things that we've we've certainly talked about a, before on this podcast and is is sort of n- it, it never stops surprising me is just how like. This guy is like he's an amazing story, but he's not he's not an abnormality of the people that seem to be in Trump's orbit. You know, like everywhere you turn, there are these kind of shifty, strange characters with odd connections. And like, why do you think that is? I mean, I think. Part of it is just sort of the business that that Trump has been involved in, you know, in, in the real estate business and um, in the hotel business. I mean, I think there's just so many a variety of people who have been sort of swept into this world. Um, and a lot of them are, you know, are fascinated by Trump, too, because he's been able to, you know, make a name for himself. And I think the kinds of people who are fascinated by this idea of Trump and what he's been able to build I mean, do seem to have these sort of shadier pasts or connections. And, you know, it it might be a coincidence, but I think it's it, it's the sort of the draw of the man, too, um, that plays a role in this. And one thing to clarify is that I, you know, told Rinkus repeatedly I was a reporter. And, right. <laughs> um, and he kept he kept going on and basically pitching me. Um, and telling me how great he was and his wife was and Trump was and no one takes them seriously and all of this stuff. So, I mean, it's this a constant desire to talk about yourself and how great you are, um, which, you know, we've seen trickle down to uh, Trump's aides. And, you know, now if the president in the summer starts spending more time in New Jersey, there might be more people like this there. You know, who knows? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that if you get a job in the White House, they're vetting you. They're also vetting your, like, your, like, you couldn't, I would assume you could not get a job in the White House if you were married to someone with the record that he has. Yes, there, you know, there are background checks um, that, you know, they're supposed to be pretty strict background checks that uh, the administration does. Um, and, and, you know, at least the, the White House would be aware of this. And, um, uh, you know, if the if there's an employee at the White House, um, especially with this administration, it seems the public is very much aware of who the top aides are and kind of their history. They've been written about in a way, you know, that we haven't seen with past administrations. Um, but then you have these, you know, the places like Mar-a-Lago where, where the president spent so much time 
um, with these other employees who the public has no idea about. Um, and so, you know, that don't go through the same uh, background checks. I mean, Mar-a-Lago did not want to talk to me for this story. Um, and, you know, the Trump organization gave us a very sort of basic statement. But uh, it's unclear how much they know or didn't know uh, about, uh, you know, this uh, about Heather Rinkus, who's the guest manager there, her husband, how much they were aware of his sort of criminal history. Um, and, you know, the Secret Service, when I asked them specifically about at least one instance where we know because there's video and pictures of um, Anthony Rinkus at the tarmac where the president landed. Um, when I asked them about that, the Secret Service doesn't want to talk about, you know, their security protocol. But my understanding is what happens is you just kind of get sort of a physical check. You know, you they make sure you don't have, you know, any weapons on you and stuff. But they're not doing a background check, um, like what happens when, for example, press goes, you know, when reporters go to the White House or a Trump event, you know, we they have all our information and they, they run it. They have our social security number, et cetera, before we were allowed to go. One of the bits in the article describes how Rinkus is wearing a, wears a, a Secret Service pin. Yes. And that was a gift, like a kind of... Yeah, it was... It, so he had this on his collar and he kept flashing it. And at first, I, you know, it was sort of on the other, the collar away from me. I was to his side. So I couldn't quite see it at first. And I was like, that, that is definitely it. But, he, you know, he clearly wanted me to see it. Um, and then when he started talking about the story about getting out of a ticket, um, by the way, he did not dispute the ticket story, getting out of the ticket story, but he did, you know, say he was not in the Secret Service later on and apologized to me for for making it seem like he was. Um, but th- this pin is, um, you know, he claimed Sean Hannity wears one, too. I'm not sure about that. But <laughs> but uh, but the Secret Service told me that it's handed out occasionally uh, to some people as a gesture of goodwill from uh, this agency. So I don't think it's one that everyone has, but clearly his wife, because she works at Mar-a-Lago and sees the Secret Service a lot, they probably gave her, and he told me this, you know, she, he got it from his wife. So they probably gave it to her sometime last year. And now that he has it, he likes to wear it around because it's a, you know, it's not something that a lot of people have, as the Secret Service has said. Um, and so, it, you know, it gives him another sort of leg up over all these other people at, in Palm Beach uh, trying now to, to establish some sort of connection with Trump. Oh, my God. That also seems like a terrible idea to be handing out Secret Service pins. But I mean, they know their business. Yeah. But. <laughs> Have you gotten a response from him since the publication of this article? No, I've, I've been pretty surprised by that. You know, I was definitely expecting a call or a text from him. I mean, you know, I, you know, I've been, I've, when I first saw him at the bar was, I guess, not three weeks ago. And since then, I have been in uh, communication with him via text or, you know, that uh, almost two hour long phone call. So I, you know, I've been in communication with him, I was expecting as soon as the article went up for him to, you know, call me to yell at me, or at least text me. But it's been, you know, just pretty quiet. Um, I think he's worried about his, um, you know, his uh, violating probation, uh, probably, because that was something, you know, the part in the story about him raising money is a clear violation of his uh, probation because he went to prison for a Ponzi scheme for raising money from, you know, different investors, promising them certain things, which is kind of similar to what I believe he is doing now, uh, except, you know, getting the 
credible using Trump to get more credibility and um, uh, with these investors. So uh, that part is something he is he was very concerned about, and I think he continues to be concerned about. So I think he, as much as he likes to talk and try to get his way out of things. I think he probably decided it was just uh, not going to be good for him to continue this. Can you? Did you get a sense from hanging out in because this West Palm Beach seems like a very rich atmosphere of mm-hmm. stories and materials? Did you get a sense of what the locals thought about the recent activities at Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, I, it's funny because no matter what, you know, I would just go to a restaurant or a coffee shop uh, while reporting this and everyone kind of talks about this, right? So um, there are a lot of people, especially, you know, when I was at the bar where I met Anthony Rinkus, who voted for Trump and um, are, you know, kind of excited that this is sort of playing out all so close to them and that, um, you know, that he visits a lot and then they get this insight that usually only people who live in Washington uh, have gotten um, however, I mean, I was stuck in traffic for 50 minutes. That's five zero when I was trying to get to uh, the airport for Trump's landing. And there were several other people in in traffic with me. And, you know, we just they just put their cars in park and were sitting outside their cars or standing outside their cars smoking. Uh, and so, you know, those sort of annoyances are getting to them, even if they voted for Trump. But I mean, I was just kind of taken aback by how this conversation happens everywhere, no matter where you go. Um, You know, it's not just West Palm Beach. There are a lot of, you know, it's North Palm Beach, Palm Beach Gardens, uh, Singer Island. There's just, you know, this whole, all these communities around West Palm Beach who are being uh, affected by the president's frequent visits, and everyone has at least an opinion on it. Now, you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, and I've I've seen this mentioned a few different times, and I I will admit that I am not... um, I'm not well versed in Florida society, but um, uh, there is a season to this, right? And yes. we are people are anticipating that there's going to be a transition now between Mar-a-Lago and now somewhere up New York Rain Way. Is that right? Yes. So I mean, yeah, it, saying uh, the season is a very sort of Palm Beach thing, uh, but it, it gets pretty hot there, so. Um, you know, when you're when you're out golfing, as the president does a lot uh, during his trips down to Palm Beach, um, it's it's going to be it's going to be probably too hot for him, uh, you know, in May or June. So um, the theory is, I mean, you know, obviously the White House hasn't confirmed this, um, but the theory is that he'll be moving on um, to New Jersey. He has a golf club there um, that he likes to go in the summer. So, I mean, I think Mar-a-Lago, it, it, it seems that it's Mar-a-Lago has a sort of special place for him, and he spends uh, the most amount of time there and probably will continue to do so. Um, and I, I'm assuming he will still go down there, you know, maybe a few times in the summer, but um, he will. it doesn't seem like he'll be going as much to Mar-a-Lago as he might to other properties that um, will, you know, might be cooler in the summer. Well, that's good. I would hate to, I would hate for his, um, his golf schedule to be messed up by the weather. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's all just so insane. Yeah, I mean, you know, our country revolves around the president's uh, frequent visits to his properties and his golf schedule. And that's that's a thing that happens now. <laughs> For someone who's um, so acquainted with iffy characters, Trump has had a, a hard time finding his footing in Washington. Um, having just passed this 100-day mark, 
do you just this is a general question in your opinion covering the things you do where the hell are we right now yeah i think that's a question a lot of people are asking and trump himself is trying to figure out i mean you know he claimed he didn't even care about this sort of 100 day marker but he clearly does and it's been apparent in his interviews i mean he's realizing it seems that um the job, job, as he admitted this past week, is harder than he thought it was going to be. Um, and um, a, a shocking admission from the president of the United States. Um, and, you know, he's realizing that unlike how the his business worked, where he could make decisions kind of on his own uh, and do whatever he thought was best, that's not how the country is governed, right? We have uh, different branches of government especially Congress, that needs to pass a lot of his agenda. And he just isn't able to even unite his own party on um, things that, you know, he campaigned on. Um, So, for example, the, you know, we just came to uh, a deal on funding the government. um, And all of the headlines are talking about how this is a win for Democrats rather than Trump. Um, which is he's not going to like. So I'm curious to see how he's going to respond to that. Uh, but also his top priority is health care. You know, we don't know what's going on with that. Uh, there's always rumblings every week on how the administration is going to be passing or repealing Obamacare. But, you know, it, the president's biggest priority was that when he ran and several Republicans, and that still hasn't happened. So I think a lot of people are trying to figure out where this administration is going right now, given the 100-day marker. I mean, that's you bring up healthcare, and it, it it does seem like the problem right now is everyone keeps getting in each other's way. You know, I mean, this is they control all the parts of government other than the judicial branch. Right. Mm-hmm. And even that they're getting a leg up now, you know, um, and yet they can't they can't do things that they've been saying they are going to do for seven years. Um they have to figure out that they are the ones blocking themselves, right? And at what point do they sort this out? Yeah, there's been a, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill, uh, not as much while I was working on this story, but, um, and everyone there kind of, I was there when, uh, you know, when they pulled the healthcare bill uh, and didn't even put it up for a vote. And everyone, the, the chatter has been Republicans need to figure out how to govern. We've been, talking about, um, you know, what, whatever Obama was doing was so bad and Democrats are ruining the country. But now that they have a chance, they just don't seem to be able to get it together. Um, and I mean, we knew sort of it was going to be harder for them because the Republican Party has gotten so sort of factionalized um, the last few years. And I think the other issue is that the, the president, which is what we're learning more and more on, doesn't really seem to know or care as much about the details as much as he does about getting a win. So, I mean, he was on, um, you know, he in his interviews this weekend with, um, with CBS, he was asked specifically about the details of the health care bill and the negotiations that are going now. And it didn't, it wasn't clear that he understood or knew what was really in it. So when you're not as familiar with the policy details, and when you're trying to negotiate with Republicans on Capitol Hill, who very much, you know, a lot of them do care about what's in the bill and are very familiar with with the policy of it. He just he doesn't know what to tell them other than, hey, let's take do this for the team and or I can come primary you or support a primary challenger. You know, he just 
the negotiations are tougher when the leader doesn't really know exactly what he's negotiating. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What are your days like as a reporter now when you have to just grapple with... I mean, it's gone from having a real government to this kind of play government? I mean, it's, it's definitely been interesting to see this transition when everyone is clearly seems to be learning how to do this. I mean, whether it's on the Hill or in the White House Um, and, you know, all parties involved have realized that this is not what they thought it was going to be when they were campaigning. Um, And as a reporter, just watching this very steep learning curve um, has been uh, fascinating because, you know, this is, the United States and this is the, the president and, you know, Congress and they're supposed to, I mean, you know, okay, even during the Obama years, obviously nothing, nothing is super smooth and it's, um, there are always going to be issues because it is politics and it is governing. But, um, but, you know, I, I think Republicans on Capitol Hill did not realize it was going to be quite like this because they had convinced themselves and tried to convince reporters uh, that once Trump became president, there was going to be this massive pivot and he was going to let, you know, people who actually know these things and are experienced to take care of things. And um, in a way, you know, by him bringing on uh, Ryan's Priebus and Mark and um, his vice president, Mike Pence, he did try to let who he thought were the experienced people handle these things. Um, but it turns out he can't let go entirely and that the people he thought were experienced aren't quite as experienced in the way things work on Capitol Hill now. Where just I know we know you don't know the future. I mean, I don't <laughs> think you do. But I if you were just kind of you're sitting around the bar in West Palm Beach and you know, you're just kind of speculating wildly on what the next couple months look like. Do you have any, you know, as a kind of, you know, loose prediction, what would you not be surprised to see? I, I mean, no, so no one knows anything is what we have learned. Uh, and we use that phrase a lot here at BuzzFeed. Uh, but I think beyond that, I mean, with Trump, it's just, he's just so unpredictable that it's hard to say anything. Um, but I mean, I think it's, it's safe to say that at some point, um, if there isn't any you know legislative movement on any of the top priority issues, that there has to be some sort of staff shakeup at some point. And I'm surprised there hasn't been um, a big, a bigger shakeup, um, you know, even, you know, closer to the 100 day marker, because, you know, we know Trump likes to call his sort of informal advisors and his friends all the time and sort of ask them to grade or give some sort of progress report, it seems, on his top aides and discuss how they're doing. And so, you know, if he sees that they're not able to do any of the, the things that we talked about, uh, or that they talked about during the campaign, then, you know, I think we could potentially see a, a shakeup in, in the future. There's already talk about Bannon, you know, moving to some sort of outside role. Um, and, you know, shakeups are pretty common during the, the campaign. So I, if, you know, if we were to make a prediction, I'd say that that would be probably the safest <laughs> one uh, in the coming months. But who knows? Uh, all right. Last last question, which is something that i've i've definitely felt in, in as we approach and then past the 100 day mark of just like sheer exhaustion and like it is not my job 
<laughs> to be keeping up with this stuff. It is your job to keep up with this stuff. How like, do you ever get a break? Like you got to go to Florida. I guess that's fine, but like n- not so much. Like yeah. how do you how do you sustain this? Yeah, I mean, it's the it's it's been a weird sort of few months for many reasons, but um one of the one of the reasons is, you know, whatever you write sort of it, people read it and it's kind of out there, even if it's a big scoop or whatever, but it, it, you know, people just kind of forget about it within a few minutes and you're, cause you're on to the next thing. Um, you know, so in covering the white house and Capitol Hill, you're talking about, you know, Oh, Ryan's previous was out one day and you write the story and you know how he, people hate him. And then the next day, like Trump is doing something else and no one wants to talk about previous because there's, you know, the healthcare vote is failing. You just, it's been so quick that you move on to sort of the next thing that it was, um, an odd, but also a really good experience to do this story where I, um, I think my last byline before this was, um, three weeks ago. So I, I usually write a lot and I hadn't written anything for three weeks cause I was focusing on this. Um, but it was weird to come up for air and kind of see, uh, you know, the, the reporters move on from one thing to the next. Um, and, things that really just aren't having as much of an impact as they would in previous administrations. So I I think it's the kind of stories that uh, are sort of a little bit off the beaten path um, and that, that seem more appealing now just because um, there's so many people covering this administration and the minutia of it. And uh, whatever you do just doesn't seem to stick as much as it, you would think it would. Did you even get to go to Mar-a-Lago and try the cake? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Um, I kind of sort of drove past as much as I, you know, as uh, close to it as I was able to. Uh, but it is, you know, a private club and um, not really a place where they want a lot of reporters. Um, I, you know, some reporters have gotten a tour of it. And it, uh, and um, my understanding is that uh, Mar-a-Lago and the administration hasn't, haven't been um, as happy with, uh, you know, what the reporters have written up after spending time in Mar-a-Lago. So I don't think that many reporters will be getting access there. Um, Spies, (laughs) thieves, and warm fish aficionados are welcome, but... Yeah, but, but, you know, maybe for... uh, They should organize some sort of cake tasting since the president himself has raved about it. So, um, you know, that would be a, a fun way to... Uh, to get to go to Mar-a-Lago. I wouldn't eat the rest of the food. I wouldn't, I would stay maybe to the cake. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Tarini, thank you so much for, uh, for doing that story and for getting on, on with us uh, this week. Thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you guys. I know that talking about Mar-a-Lago is um, is a hard one for you, Dan, that you're always a little paranoid. You want to know if he's going down there over the weekend. And uh, you we have I, we have we have long established my hatred of these golf days. You know, he achieved 20 in 100 days, Maureen. A full that's something fifth, he's done. Yeah. A full fifth of his time. Was spent on the links. And I. I I got 
Maureen, I got to the point where I like every Friday I kind of had this dread and like, does anyone know if he's going to Mar-a-Lago this weekend? Like, I think I would throw it out on Twitter almost every Friday. There was just that moment or Thursday, really, because honestly, he usually cuts out Thursday afternoons now. Um, And then I realized there was a way I could just know I wouldn't have to have dread, wouldn't have to do anything. Maureen, the Federal Aviation Administration has to put out a alert whenever he flies anywhere. <laughs> like when he goes to West Palm Beach, they have to put out an alert because they essentially close this tiny airport. Um, and anywhere he flies, they issue an alert. And I realized I could write a little script that would send me an email whenever they issued one of these uh, VIP alerts is what they're called. And I received one not six hours ago, Maureen, but he's not going to Mar-a-Lago. As we discussed with Tarini, the season is ending in Palm Beach. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. So, Maureen, I got a VIP movement notification for Bedminster, New Jersey. And now what is Bedminster, New Jersey, you ask? He's got a golf course there, doesn't he? The home of the Trump National Golf Course, Maureen. Are you telling me he flew to New Jersey? He will be. May 4th through 7th is when he's going. He's stopping in your fair city. Of New York as well. I received a, a VIP tracker for that, uh, too. So, so enjoy to that clear, traffic. On the 4th, he's flying up here. He's going to come to New York and fuck everything up. Yep. Check in at his palace and then go to his golf club for the weekend for another four-day weekend. Yep. That's right. And <sighs> I get this now. <laughs> I get I get this in my email. And... There's a part of me that's like, that's awesome. And then there's another part of me that's like, I could have written a script that just punches me in the face. And you it have. would have been the same thing. Yeah, you have. I mean, that's. Yeah. It's just. But now I thing. find out on Tuesday if he's going golfing on Friday. So you've ruined your week. I have. But at least I'm prepared. I've got I've got I've got the ability to bring that up to a slow boil. Instead of having to really crank up the heat. I've, this is what you've done is created a kind of electronic crazy wall. It's like you've connected your computer to all the strings in the basement. I'm replacing my crazy wall, Maureen, with my vat of Watergate salad. I'm jacking my, jacking my head in and I'm crawling in. I'm making my dreams come true. You've got your, your hidden clown outside. <sighs> It's all coming together. I'm really making, living my best life here at the 100 day mark. And I'm going to put on my giant headphones that I've been wearing because all my little earbuds fall apart because everything is made of shit. And I'm walking around with my giant headphones all the time, muttering to myself about Nixon. Muttering to myself about Nixon. That's not a thing that I should be doing. It's useful if you fall into some sort of time loop, though. I am turning into, I have a lot of bizarre relatives, Dan, and I used to have an aunt who never left the house, uh, was extremely paranoid, was married to my uncle for 40 years, they hated each other, and they would live on different floors of the house, and at one point they never wanted to see each other, so she put a refrigerator in her bedroom 
on the second floor wow. in a coffee pot. Yeah. No, my my I have a whole thing with my family. So she lived in her bedroom with a refrigerator in it and she would listen to like conservative conspiracy radio all day long, lying on her bed, like on her stomach with her kind of ankles crossed. And she's about 60, 70 years old in her little house dress, smoking away because she was an avid smoker who believed in smokers' rights. And if anybody told her they didn't like smoke, she'd be like, I'm going to smoke in your face. And she would just smoke, drink coffee in her locked bedroom and write spidery notes to herself about things she heard on conspiracy radio. And she would just say things to me when I was a kid, when I would go over on my roller skates and be like, hey, what's going on? And she'd be like, ah, have you heard about Shepaquiddick? <laughs> and I would like, oh, my God, what's happening? And so she would talk to me about the Kennedys and Shepaquiddick and show me all these like spidery notes that she'd taken and weird things that she'd clipped out of the newspaper. And she didn't believe in banks because banks were going to ruin us all. And she kept all of her money in empty peanut butter jars in the closet and she'd have me count her money for fun and then I would get my fingers would get all dirty from counting her coins dad and then she would give me empty peanut butter jars as gifts to go home and keep your money in peanut butter jars kids so you can see it grow and she was not even my weirdest relative dad she was the one I liked so now much later in my life I'm walking around with headphones on muttering about Nixon so what you're saying is you're taking up smoking I'm doing well Doing, we're all doing real well. Says Huvians, if you are here listening on the other side of 100 days, congratulate yourself. Like, yeah, we're all falling apart, but we're still here. Oh, like, yeah. it's, you know, like, I, like, that's worth noting. This has been real hard. This <laughs> has it. been. Real hard. You did it. You did it. We're proud of you. We are. We are actually proud of you. We are. Like you did it. You're holding up. You're probably holding up better than either of us. Yeah, you're probably not doing these things. Yeah, you're doing great. You are doing great. You're eating Dole Whip, and you're doing great. Now you have a new thing to eat. Watergate salad. Oh, please make it. Please make it. The oh, first, God, please make it. The first listener that makes a Watergate salad and sends us a pic of it, we should send them something nice. Yeah, I'll, we'll find you something. Yeah, I'll, I'll we'll send dig, you something from my house. We'll we'll dig some stuff up. We'll get that in the mail to you. I'm not I'm not saying it will be good, but I'll send you something. But yeah, you know what? Like, treat yourself. Treat yourself to a good cold Dole Whip or a good green Watergate salad. The two official foods. Yeah, you, you've earned it. Hey, Maureen, I am going to be out of my basement this week. What? I know. It's weird. Uh, if this coming Friday, May 5th. So if you're listening to this on the first day that this came out, just a couple days from now, I am going to be hosting a new reading series called The Quarterly Report. Uh, the first of which is here in Evanston. That is just outside Chicago. Uh, I am going to be giving a slideshow look at the past quarter's performance. This is amazing. <laughs> and uh, I will also be joined by uh, the incredible Jessica Hopper, Kedra Cheney, and uh, the illustrator Sean Smith. Uh, that is 7 p.m. on May 5th. It is at Comics Revolution here in Evanston, which is an amazing comic shop and bookstore. If you're listening and you're in the Chicago area, come. It would be great. It would be great to see you. Man, I want to go. I know. I live so far. 
Well, this is the thing. I just keep piling new projects on, Maureen. And my thought is this is going to be quarterly. So at some point we will do the quarterly report together. I'm I'm game to come to Chicago. There's so many reasons to go. I don't come out of my house much, so I don't have a thing. I have some books to announce soon. Oh, like two books to announce really soon. That is awesome. So well, we both have something to announce, which is the next episode will be up on May 17th. That is Wednesday, May 17th. We do come out every two weeks for the eager folks that tweet at us and ask when the next episode is coming out. We love you guys. Man, you are... Every time you write to us or tweet at us, like, makes our little tiny hearts go pitter-patter in a way that I can't explain. It's so happy. It makes me so happy. It really does. You can drop us lines at Says Who Podcast on Twitter. Hey, H-E-Y, at SaysWhoPodcast.com for email. We do have a Pinterest page. I made a mistake last week about the address. I didn't realize that Pinterest had kind of cut me off when I was typing in the address. So it's at Pinterest slash says underscore W. Ooh, that's memorable. Me, it didn't let me put on the who. The who, who, who the ho. <laughs> the old says underscore W. Says underscore Pinterest. W. Yep, it cut me off. So um, says underscore W. I'll be putting it up on Twitter. And I am filling it with recipes for things like Paul Ryan's meatloaf. Dole Whip. There's going to be Watergate salad up there. There's a bunch of links for this week. There'll be stuff in this episode, uh, so you can read some crazy stuff about Nixon. And I'm not going to put any Chappaquiddick on there, but you know, you can also save your money in peanut butter jars and things like my aunt taught me. You can uh, subscribe and review Says Who on iTunes. That would be super, super great. Uh, is subscribe so that you don't have to wait for us to tell you there's a new episode out. You just get it. Uh, but review it because that actually really does help other people find the podcast. And uh, if it's helping you, it's probably going to help other folks as well. So write a review, give it some stars, spread the word on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. Thank you to Darth for our show logo, at Darth on Twitter. Darth, thanks. And thank you, Ted Leo, for our wonderful theme music. It is so good. I like every time I hear our theme music, I get psyched. Yeah, you didn't want my tune on my slide whistle. Can I tell you that one time I opened a drawer and found three professional-grade harmonicas in it that I didn't know I owned and didn't know how I got, and I picked it up and automatically played Happy Days Are Here Again as if I had, like, learned how... Just it was automatic. Whoa. That's just a thing that happened. It's a bit of a magical story. A little harmonical past life regression. From my basement, Maureen, with large, loud sounds of both construction and an exuberant toddler above me, I'm Dan Sinker. From my closet in New York where I'm hiding from the fact that Trump will be here in a couple days' time, screwing up our lives, I'm Maureen Johnson. And we will see you on May 17th on the next episode of Says Who. Please make some Watergate salad. What was one of those names? Shut the door salad or something? Shut the gate salad, yeah. That is a great, like, expression of, like, disbelief and surprise. Yep. (laughs) Shut the gate salad.